Hoo-ha. Welcome to Film Fight Club. What year is this? It's, what year are we in? This is... Oh, yes. no. Oh, is it not yes. 2008 anymore? Doc, what, what the flex capacity? What's happened? It was happened? 2008, though. Oh, oh, wow. It just happened. It was. It was. It was 2008, briefly. It was. We, we had a 2008 episode. We were back in time Well, we didn't talk about The Dark Knight. Applause for us. No, well, because we, we, we did it because we went back in time to May 15th. That's right. The Dark Knight has yet to change cinema forever. July 16th. But no, we've gone back in time not to 1990. If, if you're new here, I don't actually think The Dark Knight changed cinema forever. What film is The Dark Knight? Because this is 1978. Yeah, well, The Dark, well, Knight, the Dark Knight, Knight. He's he's Batman, you know. He, but they, oh. they, they've yet to successfully make a film. There's there's the great Adam West TV show though. That's really fun. I really it's, like it's that. Still, it's great for a laugh. It's good. For no, 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 We should explain who we are. That was great synergy. We are Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falconside from Falcon Screen, and we have with us freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Cheerio. And filmmaker Chris Evans. It's a very difficult industry because because you literally just have to pick up a camera and all the celluloid and cut it together. It's it's rough. It's it's complex, but uh, fortunately, there's a lot of great opportunities in Australia at the moment. We've got these great upcoming directors like Peter Weir, um, you know, Bruce Beresford, Philip Noyce. How good was Gallipoli? Yeah, Gallipoli was terrific. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's it's a good time to be an Australian filmmaker, and I think there, there's more great filmmakers to come. Yeah, I think so too. George, we had to acknowledge George Miller. And but uh, he, he, who's that? Oh, uh, he's uh, a NIDA graduate. I think we're involved in NIDA. So what? So uh, <laughs> is this a is this a tip? Oh yes, about um, a film he might have coming out next okay, year. I think his colleagues are involved in NIDA. Yes, uh, he may have a very good film coming out next year. We don't know because we have travelled back in time <laughs> from the year 2018. <laughs> Two December fifth, nineteen seventy eight, to review films. We don't want to, um, you know, ruin anything about the future or this presuppose anything. Any sense, guys? We're time travelers. Of course, we know the future, though. Well, we don't get to ruin anything because we, we, we can. We can <laughs> right, we've been given strict instructions, like Superman in one of the films. Uh, that we'll be talking about tonight, not to interfere in human history. Yes, what what, what a joke that happened. That, that's, that twist later. That was strange. But yes, we're going to be reviewing some of the big things and not spoiling anything either in films or in the future. We'll, we'll be spoiling the films, probably. Yeah, maybe just a little bit. Uh, we'll be talking the new release. Uh, it is coming out. I've got the, get the exact day right. It is coming out on the 15th of December, just a week away. Superman, based on the comic, the very successful comic, and is the first. It's the big It's the big film of the year that everyone's talking about. Yeah, yeah I mean, DC, they're doing well in the the comic book world. I wish they'd make Marvel films. You know, there's, there's a great comic book law there. So many good, like you know, Spider-Man. But I, I think Fantastic if we're, Four. I think if we're going to give a superhero the big budget treatment, it should be Superman. Yeah, he is pretty great. Uh, we're also talking Halloween. This new Halloween movie out. Yeah, from the director of Assault and Precinct 13, John Carpenter. Yeah, he's got a good future ahead of him. Definitely, I think. yeah. I think so too. Yeah, and uh, so we'll talk about that, that later in the program. Animal House, which came out earlier in the year, we're we'll talking about that. The new film. That's quite an eclectic group of people. Surely we get to see a lot more films from. That crowd. There's definitely some strong comic talent in that in that film, and we're going to be talking about um, what's this guy's name? Days of Heaven, the director. What's oh yeah, yeah, uh, oh. Terrence Malick. He, okay, he had right, a big yes. debut with Badlands five years ago, and he's finally returned with a follow up, which I think is is worthy yeah, worthy of Badlands. It, it, it's fantastic. It's it's lovely. Richard Gere is the new. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah Richard Gere. Very handsome that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Terrence uh, was Martin Sheen from Badlands. He's making a new film with Francis Ford Coppola. That's coming out next yeah, year. Yeah, next year. It's it's been quite a insane production. 
Yeah, the whole. I've, uh, I've been reading the stories about it in Premier Magazine. Yeah, the whole set got wrecked <laughs> by a hurricane or something. Yes, yeah. it's quite a battle he's facing. Uh, it's got Marlon Brando as the Superman, which we'll be talking about later in the yes, program. Yes, that's right. And we'll also be talking about what I think will be a shoe in for Best Picture, The Deer Hunter, Michael Cimino's new film. Yes. Um, this is who is Michael Cimino? Is he famous? Yeah, he, he's uh, he's done a bit of writing. He directed that Clint Eastwood action movie Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. But this this one, The Deer Hunter, is really something. I think it's a huge leap forward, and announces him as a very distinct directorial voice. But more on that later. Yes, that comes out in three days. That'll be out later this week. Uh, I think first... he, he has a, a a huge future if some calamity won't happen on his next film. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Indeed. We don't know. We can't. We can't foretell the future. We, we, of course. Can't, we can't say anything. But uh, yes. So um, we'll have the news coming on after this. So they'll be uh, giving all the updates and what's going. on. Can you believe Neville Rand won again? Premier yes. Neville Rand. Wow. Yeah. It keeps going and going and going. Going. Yeah. Malcolm Fraser back in. All all the uh, stuff happening. Yeah. 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 <laughs> such stability in politics. I imagine would there be a time in the future when such stability would be envious? I don't know. Labour Party leader Bob Hawke. I think probably or ACTU leader former ACTU leader Bob Hawke probably is a pretty good. Yeah. Player. He's definitely a bloke's bloke, right? He can just stand a drink, uh, bevy at the pub. It's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive, yeah. So, um, <laughs> they could, 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 could time it for future prime ministers. Who knows? So, so it's basically this the is pub test, like the Animal House cast. This is how they decide on leadership. <laughs> yeah. you know, like anim- the Animal House cast have decided the the leadership of Australia. Imagine that actually, if the Animal House cards and the pub test could actually decide who is a viable prime minister. Imagine in the future that could be a thing. So uh, the other thing I want to acknowledge, because people may be a little confused hearing um, 2SCR Radio right now, because as people might be aware, 2SCR is only set to start broadcasting on the 1st of October 1979. However, uh, as everyone will know, earlier in September, the New Source Institute of Technology, which is the giant brown building opposite Central Station, the big ugly one that sticks up like a sore thumb. Yeah, the, the, the other, you know brother of UCID that nobody talks about. Wow. So I was going to say something nice about UCID now, but I don't, I don't know about that because I'm a graduate <laughs> of the Sports Institute of Technology, which together with UCID and Macquarie Uni have gone in together and got the license. So this is just like a pre-recording for when the station we're, does We're doing a, yeah, a pilot. A pilot for yeah next... Testing for, out content. For October next year, absolutely. Content? I, I wonder if that word is going to take off in the future. Um, we, 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 oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm sure. Uh, well, we're going to Could get, we call ourselves... Content creators is is that a thing? Everyone is a content creator. It's such a, it's just, it's, it's one of those phrases content. that's so empty. Like who is not who who makes any anything lacking, e- lacking content is not a content creator. But, but I imagine maybe in the postmodern world that okay. that could be a What's buzzword. A, what, people... Don't you post? What have you been postmodern? We're in a modern world now. Exactly, modernism is dead though, isn't it? Postmodernism is actually just just becoming the thing now. Yeah. Actually, oh, if you yeah. you should be keeping up with your literary <laughs> criticism. <laughs> And your, uh, your art. <laughs> and my art degree at the New School of Technology, where I did learn about postmodernism, to be fair. Right. So, yeah, uh, I guess that, that is sort of take. Well, what's going to replace that? Surely something has to be post postmodern. Yeah, that's, well, maybe that? reading texts instead of reading books. That could be a thing. Oh, we'll never stop reading books. Like, how else will we get information? We oh, read, radio. Yeah, everything, everything is a text and a medium, Glenn. That's that's how we read things now. That's, that's, that's true, I suppose. Or oh, watching films like the first film we are talking about, which is Richard Donner's Superman. It is the big film of the week. 
It'll be right, right in time for Christmas. It is starring Christopher Reeves as Clark Kent Superman. Reeve. People, he, people always call him Christopher Reeves for some reason. It's Christopher, it is Christopher Reeve. Yes, that's right. That's Christopher Reeve. This is one Reeve, yeah. And Margot Kidder as Lois Lane. And Gene Hackman from The French Connection. And young Frankenstein as Lex Luthor. His hair's gone. He's shaded. He's bald. And this is an origin story, as I understand, where we start on Krypton with um, Joel, played by Marlon Brando, who got a good deal for this film. He got Man, his- he, he really doesn't care. He just brings his gravitas and fucks off. Yeah, basically, basically, <laughs> basically yes. But he got like a huge proportion of the takings for this film. So if it does yeah. well, he will surely do well. And Superman comes to Earth and is one of the, it's probably the biggest comic book adaptation we've seen to date. I mean, Absolutely. comic book films first, aren't really a big thing. It's the first time that people have tried to bring the fantastic imagination behind comic book stories to life with modern special effects it follows hot on the heels of star wars this is probably the biggest special effects film we've seen since how then. good was star wars last year oh my yeah, god yeah, make yeah. empire strikes back they've just announced it it's coming out hopefully in... it washes away the taste of that christmas special you made at me watch last oh, week Glenn. yes there's this new christmas special do yourself a favor do not watch it it is one of the worst things you'll I ever fell asleep see. but um I, I think i was just so confused by what was happening before my eyes that my brain shut down. Oh my god, it was it was like a variety show, but not like Mupp like, A variety hey, how, how good, show how good with, but not in English. A variety show made up of unsubtitled roars. Yeah, if you've seen this new show, The Muppets, like think of that, but not charming, not engaging. I think they were under contract and they had to all come back and do it. It's pretty but bad. it's not nearly as good as A New Hope, which is the highest grossing film. So, oh yeah, and every, so everyone Star knows Wars. about Star Wars. So, sorry, everyone I'm, knows about Star Wars. Glenn, no need to fill them in. I don't know what's the new hope is. I, I, I sorry, I didn't mean to say. Oh that. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. True. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but so, uh, then you mean the new hope we all have for science fiction filmmaking exactly. after Star Wars? That's exactly that's of course it. what you were referring. <laughs> that's exactly to. what I meant. Yes. <laughs> but uh, honestly, I, with Superman, actually, what I'm thinking about is uh, would it usher in a time when people would the fantastical style of filmmaking that people would actually want to see superhero films. It's definitely so. taking off between yeah. Star Wars and this. That's the trend right now. I think, it is I think we're moving away from the harsh realism that um, you know defines most of 70s filmmaking that we've been talking that we'll talk about later uh, with respect to The Deer Hunter and possibly we're moving now into you know a trend of big special effects spectacles. Yeah, and it's true. I mean, the, the latest James Bond film, Falling Off the Spy Lovely, was supposed to be for your eyes only, but after Star Wars, they said, ooh, let's make Moonraker. That's in space. They're going to do a big flashy one. So let's do having, Star Wars. Having oh, said that, Moon- I think it is going to shift very soon. Moonraker was uh, fantastic because, firstly, Roger Moore playing once again his camp Bond role character. Moonraker, which... Moonraker comes out next year, man. Oh, I mean... Spy Love Me. You think you're the Spy Love Me. Spy Who Love Me. Oh, Spy... That was a, it was a great film. Ba- um, Barbara Beck. Uh, well, she, she's super cool, yeah. She, stunning, the music, the, the, the song of Spy Who Loved Me is, I think, the best James Car- Bond song to date. Carly, by Carly Simon. By Carly Simon. No, um, Surely Live and Let Die by Wings and Paul McCartney. That's a great song, but uh, you can listen. Na, na, it's an amazing riff, na, 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 but I think as a whole, na, na. the um, Nobody Does It Better is better but because Tom, it has not been done better. Tom Jones, Thunderball... Uh, that was pretty good. Uh, Shel- but, Shirley Bassey's two songs. Hey, they are great. Back. They she's are coming great. back for Moonraker too. Shout out to Richard Keel who plays Jaws, who's a fantastic Bond villain. I think probably, I I have a feeling he might become the most memorable Bond villain. I hope he comes so back. So what do we think of Superman? Superman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking so, of Superman, like I, Jaws. Look, I grew up reading the- Did that segue oh. backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I read the comics a lot growing up. You know, you can get the down at the store for a dime and a nickel. 
And this film was really fun. It's very campy. It's a little serious. But Christopher Reeve, he embodies Clark Kent. And I think he's a better Clark Kent than he is Superman. He does it really well. But he, what's unique about this character is that his alter ego is actually Clark Kent, not Superman. And as we learn, maybe, as was anecdotally referenced in a film that we will maybe see some years from now, which may or may not be good. And this was fun. I had a good time watching it. I like traveling back and forth from the wheat fields of the Midwest to to um, Krypton. Learning a little bit about Superman and he, seeing some of the, one of the best and most revered arcs in Superman canon come to life. Um, I think the bit that Chris referenced earlier in this film, where Superman has to be very aware of time, I think that was a bit of a cheat. I hope they don't you know return to these sorts of things um, in serials and films come. To, turn out years later but there's a scene on the helic with the helicopter a rescue scene um all the sequences with lex luthor which were very fun all in all i think this was a pretty decent film uh look i i had fun with it but um it's not as good as i remember from my my past self from the future that saw this film a long time ago i see yeah um i think it's Richard Donner, I think it just is not that great a director. I think there's a lot of craft that's gone into it in terms of the production design, etc. But I think he brings a kind of plotting hand moments. Like he doesn't know quite how to balance the campiness and the sense of grandeur and poetry that this film is striving for. I think it's definitely going in both directions. And I think it is capable to balance them. My favorite superhero film is one that won't be released for 26 years, Spider-Man 2, which is very cheesy, but I think it does just that. It manages to balance poetry in the grandeur of the heroics as well as silliness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they make a movie about Spider-Man. <laughs> yep. He's not even that popular. But Fantastic Four is clearly the standout Marvel one. It's, it's the first one. They have to make a movie out of that. But yeah, you know, the moments like Krypton exploding at the, uh, at the beginning, I think, could register with so much more grandeur than they do. And um, an example of Donna botching the direction for me is um, when the moment when Pa and Ma, Ma Kent find Superman and he's stretched, you know, this little naked boy with his arms stretched out in a Jesus-y pose and a smile oh, on his face. Very obvious. And it's such a, it's such, it's an obvious image and really silly. And I think it's spoiling what is a really grand moment. Say what you will about. I'm going to ditch the gimmick right now. Say what you will about Superman Returns as a whole. It's a bad film. I agree. But I think in the way that that sort of retconned and tried to redo some of the scenes in um, the that make up the beginning of Superman it actually handled the material better. I th- and I think it actually, even though I, Brandon Ruth isn't as good overall as Christopher Reeves, I preferred his the reimagined take on this Richard Donner Superman character in that film because watching it now, I found um, Superman a little bit off-puttingly smug. Like the Superman Returns version has the... The, the a little bit of the mischief of, haha, look at what I can do. But in this one, it's almost like he's you know, sort of um, having fun telling off naughty humans because he's so superior. And I just kind of thought, like, oh, geez. But this is really harking back to the original iterations of the That's comic. true, yeah. I mean, I mean, let's take uh, give credit to what this film is trying to achieve, and these are a multitude of things. Firstly, Superman is representing the big, you know, great hope for America and that sort of thing. So you have to embody what the character actually represents. And this is the first time we get to see him on screen. So you have to give due diligence to that. And then also you have to somehow give him some kind of, give him an origin story. And it's also give him some kind of 
a push, and this is the first time people get to see the, the grandeur element for 1978. Let's be honest about that. Uh, it, it's, it's still at the time I, I remember and from interacting with people on the street, uh, they they do. I mean, outside <laughs> yeah, just yeah, now, just now. Uh, the, the, the excitement is there, and I think what it does represent, you know, uh, when the little S on on yeah. the forehead and those little sort of I, uh, I, I love perfect tweaks, and I think that really did sell it. Like as a character, I, I can buy Christopher Reeve as Superman, which was difficult, I think, at the time. I think his uh, charisma, especially the chemistry he has with Margot Kidder as Lois Lane, is really palpable. Uh, I think that oh, those the scenes, scene was hilarious. Yeah, those scenes are really fun to watch, and I think are probably the best the best parts of the film. And they really sell the romance and the fantasy of this Superman character. Um, I also really like the way that the film opens with a kid reading the stories of Superman, and it contextualizes it as this is a story that inspires kids that's born of the Great Depression. I thought that that's really nice. Uh, in the future, there'll be a, hor- a horrifying take on Superman, uh, Man <laughs> of Steel. Which uh, you know completely forgets all of that and that mission that of what Superman's meant bright. to represent to our it's culture. Meant to it's it's meant to inspire people. It's meant to be a vision of goodness. Yeah. I mean, uh, what does the film? The film. I I, I admire that that they that Donna chose to stick in that direction. What what I like most about this film and in the rewatch, it still holds up, is that the film was still filled with genuine optimism and sincerity and that kind of fantasy element. Which Gene Hackman, man, also yeah, that guy's uh, so funny. Yeah. He's so funny as yeah. Lex Luthor. And, and I forgot about that because Lex Luthor is often sold as a maniacal villain. I've forgotten how incredibly funny he could be, which in subsequent iterations you see less and less of. And he becomes at one point a complete buffoon, and oh, then becomes the complete other way with the pendulum swings, and he becomes this egomaniac villain without any sense of humor, which is not true. Mm. Uh, but here, I think the balance. What I like about it is that. The actual spirit of the film, what Superman the spirit represents, is nice. the spirit is what's true, and it holds up even whatever botched uh, direction and the botched kind of yeah. uh, you know special effects. But the thing is, it's still fun. Like I, it when is I fun. watch it, I still enjoyed it, and it made me feel like I'm a child. And that's what is what I think good films are about. There are some things in here that you know. Speaking of it being for a child, you're really not supposed to think too hard about, like so that Superman can show off his abilities in a streamlined manner. Um, Lois Lane is constantly getting herself into dangerous situations. It's like she's a character from uh, a film series of the future, Final Destination. You know, three <laughs> times in this film, she would have died if not for Superman's just, just interference. And she's in. and sp- okay. And you you praised the Spider-Man films earlier. Excuse me. That uh, but in, in the Spider-Man films, the uh, villains are directly targeting Lois Lane. Uh, whereas in this I'm, these films, she just keeps stumbling into disasters. Uh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Chris. Sorry, the, I, I sorry. The, the villains are targeting Mary, Mary Jane, Jane, not yeah. Lois Lane. But yes. come on, Chris. If Lois Lane didn't get in trouble, how would Christopher Reeve or Superman wouldn't say this iconic line? I got you. Lois. Yeah, there was. Yeah. Like, look, I, I don't think. Hey, look, just once. Once would have been enough. Look, I, yeah. I, I, I don't think <laughs> we'll see a Superman in the foreseeable future who will nail it quite as much. Yeah. I appreciate that there may be different versions he, which are a little more. He's dimen- very dimensional as the bumbling as the bumbling Clark Kent. He's very funny, but frustratingly so. It's like, man, don't you? Can't you just be a little less incompetent just to you know get your personal so life? Sure you, you, you I know you want to throw. Yeah, exactly. I know you want to throw. Uh, you know, people's suspicions off, but man, just like nail the job, you know, keep keep the girlfriend thing going well. Just stop being such a total klutz. <laughs> but saying that and and looking somewhere in the future without giving it away, which I, means I, it I, works. I, I, I do I do feel sad about 
what happened to Christopher Reeve and how his eventual life ended oh, up. Absolutely, so yeah. The tragedy would happen with his kind of thing because otherwise, I mean, he's still, I think, looking back on it, I think there's more nostalgia because of what happened and I kind of feel like he was the first Superman and actually for a lot of people that did epitomize what Superman represented for I, that generation. I, I think that, I think we have to acknowledge that follow, yeah, following his accident, um, he did make superior a number of other films including the remake of Rear Window so it did continue to make contributions to cinema and obviously great contributions to charity over and social causes over the course yeah. of many many years and yeah. I did pass away some years ago now but he was he is my favourite Superman mm. he, I think he I, I don't know how someone could be that as charming and just likeable as he could be I mean, I mean yes he was smug I agree with Chris but at the same time not condescendingly smug smug in the way that he was just perfect maybe just too perfect but like, uh, I'm Superman and we're gonna be I'm Superman yeah and we're gonna be friends and you're, and you're gonna like being friends with me yeah. and it's gonna and you know it's gonna be awesome I think yeah. maybe it, maybe it's the right Superman take for 1978 and I'm looking from a 2018 perspective for a new Superman and I'm frustrated that we we got such an abomination in from Zack Multi- Snyder multiple abominations I think I think if we really need a new super I, like I'm as you know really against superhero movies propagating and uh, multiplying <laughs> in general but I really think Superman's different Superman stands is an important cultural icon and I think it's time for a new Superman that tries to take it as um, take this, this the fun of it as seriously as this film did because this film is really sincere about the things that make Superman great. I'm not I'm not really a big fan of where this kind of in the future when this trend will go away seeing heroes as real people rather than, you know, you wanting to epitomize and put them in a You can split the difference. Yeah. But yeah. but Superman the whole idea is that he's fantastical. He's representing something which is ambitious and which yeah. you want to be but rather than just being a real person or an that's Every right, Joe. I just think there can be a there's there's room for a different kind of vision of greatness for Superman now. I think I think there's definitely room for a a great new cinematic reinterpretation, and I'm frustrated. But we're so preoccupied with the Batman's of the world, and I love Batman. And they tried to turn Superman into Batman, dark, which is ridiculous. And we need to, and people want people and want Superman hopeful. That's right. When you mute the colors, Superman, it doesn't work as well. We, we make will, Superman we, we just a happy. ball of Maybe anger. It's going to be Shazam, guy who seems to soon. hate humans and hate the burden of being Superman. It just just ruins the entire point. So that is Superman. That was really that will be out next week. It's a fun time. The next film we are talking about is a very different sort of time. It is. Should we talk about Halloween? Yeah, all right. Let's talk about Halloween. So Halloween... I'm going to uh, say this one out. <laughs> so uh, then there was just released a new Halloween film. If you are tuning in in 2018, um, don't be confused. Um, <laughs> this is star- This is from John Carpenter, and it is starring Jamie Lee Curtis, who, get this, is the daughter of Tony Curtis and Janet Lee of a- Psycho appearing, Yeah, appearing here in her first film role. Um, the Psycho connection is interesting because a lot of people have... Uh, already compared this film to Psycho. And uh, what's interesting is the reviews of of this time now that we have found ourselves in tend to see the film as, you know, derivative of what Psycho was doing and what some of, you know, the early Brian De Palma films were doing. But looking at it now, Halloween has, uh, with the eyes of us time travelers, Halloween has had such an imprint that it seems so distinctively itself and so trailblazing in what it's doing. It's the film that will be endlessly copied, not just yeah. by its own iterations and sequels, but which we may or may not happen in the future, but many, many others. And certainly it is of that caliber. It is uh, set in a neighborhood in the Midwest, and it is about a person who escapes from an asylum 
called Michael Myers, who begins to terrorize the neighborhood, and his psychiatrist, played by Donald Pleasance of The Great Escape and You Live Twice fame, and many other films who uh, attempts to seek him out. Not to confuse uh, with another person called Michael Myers, who's going to make incredible movies of a completely different nature. But yeah. Edgar Edgar Wright's done this joke pretty well. <laughs> anyway, who uh, the, the young kid in the UK? Yes, what? that's the guy. Uh, so um, look, this is this is a quite an exceptional horror film. It is a very low budget horror film. As I learned from hearing from Jamie Lee Curtis a few weeks ago, everyone in the film was under thirty. It was a very young crowd wow. who were making it. They were making it on the smell of an oily rag. They did have Donald Pleasance, who was the only is the only, was the only really established kind of household name in the course of this film. I've it's, heard that they completed the the shoot of the film in about a month or so, yeah. which is it's incredible. It's very minimalistic, but it, Carpenter uses that to his strength. Um, there's a lot of... I mean, the style is really the um, standout aspect of the film, I think. Um, the, the Hitchcock influence comes through in the way that the camera seems to be stalking the victims around and creating a sense of dread and suspense. But... Yeah. Think um, Frenzy that came out a few years yes, ago by that, Hitchcock. that's right. But Carpenter has a really distinct approach with incredibly wide frames and putting the character very small in the frame and watching them move around. There's an and, amazing scene with the clothesline. Yes, um, The one where right. someone flees from a house. And there, there really is a sense of dread built up through this sustained length of these shots. He also makes um, really interesting use of... Uh, Panavision's competitor to the Steadicam. We'll see how that goes. The Panaglide. Um, yeah. yeah. But I, I really like how pure this film is, both in the visual approach. It's And it's a very, very streamlined, simple story. Um, but I love how John Carpenter defines Michael Myers not so much as a person, as just as this menacing force that's the, that's just coming out of the darkness and killing people. It's an evil. It's just an evil, yeah. It's and it's the camera. Is it the camera that's watching the girls that is the killer? Because a lot of the time, you're not sure if the camera, as I was saying earlier, is Michael Myers' perspective, and then suddenly he just pops in at the right of the frame. He he just appears from nowhere and kills. And uh, it's not. it doesn't relish in the bloodshed. Carpenter drags out this pattern and... Uh, as you said, it is just the force of evil. And what's more remarkable still is that, and we may see this become copied in years and years, I certainly haven't seen an element of this so strongly and so well handled before this film, but unlike what you won't expect of most sociopaths, he doesn't run at you, he doesn't come screaming at you, he doesn't come loud, he walks slowly, he takes his time, and that is scarier still. Yeah. Because you're not really sure what is enveloping the environment, you're not sure what is going to attack, you're not sure what the result is going to be. If someone is coming towards you so slowly, can they engage in an act so violent as this, as the music, How can and they as the be... style of this film might, uh, might, might, might be suggesting? How can they be so single-minded in the pursuit of another person's suffering. And what little we see of him makes it more fascinating still. He's covered with a hockey mask. Not a hockey mask, sorry. A, 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 I think of someone else. A, yeah. a mask throughout the whole you, you, of the film. Man, um, it's not surprising to uh, get that confused because it's funny just to think about how much of a ripoff Friday the 13th is, right down to the name. Oh, Halloween, yes. Friday the 13th. All right. Yes. Um, but uh, no, that, the idea of someone terrorizing just the local suburban neighborhood. And we've exactly. all had Halloweens it's, it's, where people just, you know, wander throughout the town. And think it's the perfect night because everyone's wearing a mask. That's right. Everyone's dressed up. But the, fo- it's, the focus is really on that suburbia. 
that's what these wide shots really convey. And also the, um, I think, fairly authentic way that the babysitter characters talk to each other, it really situates you in suburbia. And this is about a a place that represents comfort to middle-class families getting destroyed by this, you know, um, unknowable dark force. I think that that's, you know, there's really pure horror in that. Something else that I think stands out about this film, especially when you compare it to things like Friday the 13th, is even though this film, I think, is partly kickstarts the trend of if you have sex, you're going to die in these slasher films, the film doesn't seem to take a cruel approach. It doesn't seem to think, like, treat its the young, horny teenagers like you've done a bad thing and now you must be punished. It's still just a horrific thing that's happening to them. The film doesn't seem to be taking pleasure in their deaths. Um, given the subject matter, it's a really surprisingly non-mean-spirited film. It's gory, but it's not gratuitous. Yeah, and it, it doesn't feel like it's putting you in the on the side of the killer and wishing for their deaths. You know, like, it. I think it really is... A, no, you empathize with the J.B. Lee Curtis character. I, yeah, it, even even some of the other Laurie characters, Strode. while stupid, you still don't want them to die, and there, there still is a sense of dread. And I think that's what really what sets this film apart from its um, imitators, is that... John Carpenter, for all his technical perfection and and the bleakness of some of the films he's made, is actually quite humane, I think, and that really shows through. So that is Halloween. It it was in cinemas from October 26th. It's still getting a good run. And if you are listening to this uh, later, 40 years from now, that still may may or may not apply. Uh, We will be continuing on the podcast with Animal House, Deer Hunter, Days of Heaven, and talking about more of the films that are screening in 1978. Um, If you're so do tune in 40 years from now and if, one week. If you are listening 40 years from now, just a shout out to two films we've covered on earlier episodes, now opening in limited release. One is Alfonso Cuaron's Roma. It's on Netflix, but I really recommend you seek it out at the Ritz because it needs to be seen on the big screen. Another is Climax by Gaspar Noé. See it if you're a masochist. Basically, yeah. So that is recommendations for quite a bit later in the future. This has been Glenn Falgenstein, Chris Evans of Verat Nehru. Have a wonderful 1978. Enjoy movies. Good night. Tune into the podcast. Bye-bye. And we're back on the Film Fight Club podcast. Oh, talking all things 1978. Um, it's been a big few weeks. Did you know that um, last week, uh, Australia outlawed commercial whaling? Good Great. on them. Good on wow. them. Yeah, big, big milestone on November 21st. Well of a time. Very, very good. And there's been a lot of stuff happening internationally. I mean, Jimmy Card had a big win. He might win the Nobel Prize. The Camp David Accords uh, got finalized there just a few weeks ago now. Oh, Jimmy, the... Bible worshipping Carter. Wow. Yeah, the, the peanut farmer. Yeah. I wonder if he'll win that second term. <laughs> See how that goes. Hopefully. There's a lot happening in, in the Middle East right now, particularly in Iran. Things are kind of just getting up. Hotting up. So we'll see how that affects right. things. Hello, Khomeini. Yeah. Oh, oh, surely that's not going to happen. I mean, I know there's a bit of unrest now, but surely when they're not yeah. going and no. they're, they're mad, dude. Yeah. yeah. It's, really, it's really hard to obey Mullen Brando now and not try to influence human history, given the privileged <laughs> position we're in right now. <laughs> Man. Yeah, a, a lot, Sorry, Jorel. All, all I have to say is embassies of the, you know, in Iran should be beware. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, they may make some good films about that come, come years from now. Yeah. Uh, we we, we well, don't know. Maybe Best Picture winner. Oh, yes. I mean, at least there would be some kind of upside to that, I guess. Um, <laughs> yes, there's no real upside. And um, also, uh, this is interesting. So did you, did you guys read the, the funnies, like the cartoons, the, the comics and the newspaper and stuff? <laughs> the, the, the funny, funny pages. pages. Funny, funny yeah, pages. yeah, yeah. Funny, yeah. I, I, always, I always like a morning laugh. 
Morning from Earth. my funny yeah. pages? Yeah, yeah. Well, they just had this new one come out called Garfield. It's terrible. Don't read it. Don't it's really. so overrated. Uh, yeah, so man. bad. Uh, yeah, what's with the, what's, what, what's the need, man? Peanuts, with... peanuts is, all, is where it's at. Yeah, that's they're, true. They, they're great. Yeah. Um, oh, still still oh, great. Cal- 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is Calvin and Hobbes? I know. Because Calvin and Hobbes might only... Happen. Uh, I may, maybe Bill Watterson may be working on this to release in a Guys, few years' if time. Li- yeah. I know, yeah, he, he if, if you've somehow managed to listen to a podcast <laughs> in 1978, we're just going to flash you over the over the radio now. So, Look. all right, you now did not hear anything about a Calvin comic involving Hobbes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bill, Bill showed me a few of his sort of earlier drafts. So we we close mates. It's pretty cool. Wow, I, I, I love I love to meet him. He seems like a really really great creative guy who'll great, create lots of really good stuff. Yeah. Um, Asterix and Obelix are really yeah, wonderful. Oh. oh yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I hope, uh, I hope they make good movies out of those. Well, I've been day. reading this thing out of France called Valerian, and uh, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you. Do you, you, you mean do you mean Valerian and Lorelai? No, no. It was, it was, it, I, it's just called Valerian now. I believe in oh, the okay. future it will be Valerian and Lorelai. <laughs> but uh, uh, maybe my place. I, I might have to check my. Uh, Information uh, repository. Yeah, there, there, there's, there's a young kid that I met called Luke Besson Check who's that. very, very influenced by those comics. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow Varad, you really are on first name <laughs> basis. You spend a lot of time a lot of... In, 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 in France. Yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah. That's, 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 it sounds French. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it sounds yeah, there's nice. Frenchies. Yeah. yeah. Well, and lots happening here too. You know, we've got a, well, I guess the PM's been in for a bit. Uh, yeah. Are we hopefully going to have Medicare soon? That'd be great. Uh, what, that would be amazing. Yeah, what, yeah. Is, what is Medicare? Free, free healthcare. That yeah. would be fantastic. I mean, living living without Medicare is kind of like being in an animal house. Animal house. Yes. <laughs> which is wow, the, wow, wow. Which is the next film we're talking about? <laughs> animal house. Oh dear, this movie. Uh, I can't say uh, it came out earlier this year. It came out on July twenty eighth. It was a big hit, yeah, big sleeper hit of the of the summer. Yeah, the, and this crew they've uh, come pretty close. I, I wonder Harold if Ramis, some years from now, John Landis, yeah, John Belushi. Belushi's great. Yeah, John Belushi uh, I, and Tim Matheson in this Tim movie. Matheson, he's, Kevin he's, Bacon. Ke- this, sorry, oh, Donald Sutherland. Yeah, Donald. Sutherland. I need to. I what need, a cast. What a. I need to give a shout out to John Vernon, who plays the dean in this film. He is absolutely hilarious. There's a scene. He, is he a crusty old dean? He's a crusty old dean, but this this guy is such a gifted comic performer. Uh, nine years from now, he's also amazingly hilarious in Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and basically the same role as a old police chief disapproving of the young people. Um, but uh, yeah, this is the original frat house comedy, basically. Yeah, there may oh, like, be more. I honestly, like, I haven't seen anything like it before, to be honest. So I wonder if there'll be more of these. Get your bedsheets. This, this is the Toga film. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's it, right. It is the Toga film. I didn't, how long have Toga parties been a thing? Uh, uh, when I went to UCID uh, in, in very much in the future, they definitely were a thing. Well, yes, but, but how long before Animal um, House were they a fun thing? Fun fact. Um, apparently, a young guy at UCID just lost uh, the election. Uh, Tony Abbott, I think his name is, right. uh, for student council. Yeah, yeah. To to another guy called Malcolm Turnbull, I think. Oh, but what yeah. do we think of Animal House? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what do we think of Animal House? Uh, I love it. Uh, it it it's so chaotic, uh, so incredibly. I mean, the term gross out comedy would be something that I would use. I'm not sure whether it'll take off or not, but um, I'm hoping it would. But uh, it's, it's also just incredibly fun and very visually engaging in terms of the visual gags it has because yeah. it's really resulted in physical comedy. And John Belushi, the physical comedian, is fantastic. I I mean, 
I just didn't know for such a young actor that there's so much super talented. Yeah, it's uh, and a lot of those amazingly gags, energetic. And a lot of those gags are not actually you know intellectual or whatever. They just rely on a lot of physical sort of you know you're just throwing yourself off things and just making them funny. It's, it's got a Buster Keaton like quality to it. To be honest, I have mixed feelings on this one. I agree with a lot of what Virat said. Um, I think the direction by John Landis is very good. I think this film has. Um, without being particularly visually showy, it has the right amount of energy and uh, it, it allows visual gags to play out well. Um, and I think it, it lets its performers really show off. And I think um, there is a lot of fun to the anarchy of it. Um, but yeah, there are some things about this film that make it difficult for me. <laughs> the anarchy of it is is one part of that. Um because, I mean, the film, this isn't as much of a problem as it, as it might have been because the film is so takes itself um, not seriously yeah, at all. At all, yeah. It's... At all. Um, but the, the characters are basically unrepentant assholes. Yeah. You know, like they, they don't the, really have, any, there's there's no... There's no character growth. There's no, like, you know, from A point to B point. Yeah. They're just the same throughout the movie. Yeah. And they're just doing... Ba- basically, what yeah. they want is to satisfy their own hedonism. And um, they... I think the, the film sort of tries to justify itself with a scene where um, Donald Pleasance, as a hippie college professor who freely admits to his class that he doesn't care much about <laughs> what he's teaching, Paradise Lost. His character is just absolutely hilarious, by the way. Donald Pleasance, what a treasure. Um, he, yeah, very, very pleasant. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes. His, uh, the, the, the sort of demonic look of mischief on his face when he offers his students pot. But, 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 <laughs> just, just appreciate the context when this movie comes out, 1978. We're in sort of, you know, the cultural movement which is happening around free love and, you know, the the hippie movement is taking off. So and This film it, is set it, in 63, by the way. Yeah, it, it is. But like, you know, so it's actually capturing something of that kind of uh, Western, uh, you know, reactionary yeah. against the Vietnam War, which uh, is sort of going on. So, you yeah. know, it's looking back at the time well, and actually capturing something which is insane. So you, What, what it was, I mean... It was very much in, uh, going on then. Yeah. Um, and the film touches on that aspect a little bit later um but not in any serious way no that, um, that's true so yeah it, it's the political comedy doesn't weigh the movie down what, yeah, what i what i mean about them being unrepentant is they basically they will screw over each other um and anyone that stands in the way of their having the the good time that they themselves want and i think the film could have maybe had and the film celebrates that and the the end is basically the triumph of their created mayhem and i think um the film could have had more depth and maybe sold me on, you know, the mischief of going with this. Like a, um, the point I tried to make earlier and um, got derailed by how fantastic Donald Pleasance is, is that the film makes an argument for itself by referencing Paradise Lost and saying, is it, um, is it more fun to be bad? But um, I think there can still be a heart in making a story about bad people by having there be some kind of value that they have. Like, we value the brotherhood of we have a shared interest in being bad and we look after each other, us against the world. But it's really just every man for himself. And at the animal house is, you know, a frat house of people who all share a similar, you know, complete narcissism and desire to get fucked up and fuck everyone else up. I see the point you're making, Chris, but... I mean, what the film is doing is rebelling against traditionalism of the 60s in that sense. That is a good... I mean, there is... Uh, there's two sides to it. I mean, I enjoy the unrepentant anarchy of that as well. But, but I still... But, but a part of me is thinking yeah, like, hmm, I, I don't know I, about this. I, I guess the thing is like, it, you're going to the other extreme to figure out like... Because 
but it's coming out. It, it's truly something that people couldn't think that that's also a landscape that you can actually enjoy and take any kind of pleasure in. I mean, that, no, I, th- I think there's um, value in, in making a comedy of people, you know, people who just want to... Because hedonism... Like, uh, uh, like the Three Stooges, you know? 50, like, we're just here to have 50, cause mayhem. 50s and there's 60s. value in that. I mean, the idea is like, you know, it's that if you are hedonistic in any sense, you are not celebrated, at least in popular culture. Like, you know, this traditionalism and values and family and some kind of guiding force is supposed to hold you back. Yeah. I think what this film celebrates is that what if that wasn't there and yet you could have a good time and mm. find some, I, th- I think there is that kind of positivity and actually celebration in that and there, there yeah there is there rather is. than it being just unrepented and being you know selfish. So it, I, it just did sort of weigh on me uh, though a little bit towards the end like they will you know some guy says no 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 one of the characters says no 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 please please don't take take my car and you know they force him to give him their car yeah. and then they try and he's like no no but there's it costs all this money and then they trash it and they're unapologetic yeah, and but, they, but, they they'll just abandon their dates somewhere <laughs> dangerous if if they have to get out of it like they do not care for anything yeah. but themselves and it, it, it it's it is a strange i get it it's it's a strange <laughs> it's a strange uh tack to take but i i get the subversiveness of it even though i'm not sure i can be on board with this if, if there'd been a little bit more depth. But but if anything else, what I find truly revolutionary about this film is that it's clearly that anarchy, which a lot of future National Lampoon films, without giving it away, they're held back by some kind of moralistic compass. Right. This film truly does not but have any. It's amoral. I don't it, 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 amoral. Is it, it is amoral. It is amoral. Which there, is truly... I, I don't think there's a film like that there, ever. There are a few that. a few things in this where um, that I think like have dated the film spectacularly if, oh, yeah. um, to come in, go in I agree, yeah. politically. There, there's a few things... Look, there's one scene that was really uncomfortable for me where um, basically a girl's passed out and a uh, young virgin <sighs> freshman yeah, is tossing up whether to have sex with her oh, and yeah. it's presented as like an angel and a devil on the shoulder and he makes the and right this call this is the only film of this era where it, this is being portrayed but I think uh, what was the, um, the what are the Breakfast Club films right um, yeah just and I think it's and get, I think get, it's, get it's, it's cultural, it's cultural people, context yeah, people have come out recently who have rolled in film and said yeah this is yeah. not a, was never alright and is not alright the thing about um, the scene in Animal House is um, I don't think that subject is off limits for comedy. I think almost nothing is off limits to comedy, but it's really about how you approach it. Um, the character does, you know, yes, he does. He doesn't do the morally awful thing, and um, in the end, but um, I think you know you could make dark comedy about a human humanity's worst impulses. But in the, it's it's such a kind of light scene for a guy considering doing something horrific that it sort of doesn't sit well. There was another scene that really took me aback. Um, where they they visit a roadhouse populated by um, all all black people, where they're the only white people there, oh, yeah. and the gag oh. of this of this scene, but it's so shockingly racist. I read up that I after watching the film, I had to use our futuristic technology we time travelers have, the internet, <laughs> to read what other people say about it, this. It's in the TARDIS. We we, we, right. we had I'd read that a studio executive was worried about how black people would react to it, and he showed it to this scene to Richard Pryor, and Richard Pryor said, "No, no, no, it's funny." But I think. In the context of today, people would agree it's super racist. Yeah. The the scene is the guys um, to give you an idea of how amoral they are. Um, they've pretended one of them has pretended to be the boyfriend of a girl who recently died at a intellectual arts college, so that he can pick up a bunch of dates. <laughs> and he takes them by accident 
too, and <laughs> I'm just looking at Glenn's eyes. They are just complete douchebags. I'll fess up here. I've seen the first 50 minutes of this film. I did not stop watching it. I just didn't finish it. Right. Uh, this was some time ago yeah, now. I was just, just I was just out somewhere. They're just so utter douchebags. I do have to watch this yeah. film. Uh, but having said that, wow. Yeah, so they go. They're, they're utter douchebags. So they go to a... Um, they go to an all-black bar, um, and the gag of this scene is uh, basically just playing on all the um, stereotypes about black people. The... Um, that were, I, I guess was still prevalent in 1978. Honestly, it's shocking that it was in a film from 1978. Um, I've seen people try to defend this as the joke is that white boys are afraid of, of black people. But no, that's not actually it. The film shows, um, like, the, basically the message is black guys are menacing. Like, there's a, you know, like one, a guy pulls a switchblade on one of the guys when he tries to talk to him at a bar. They all kind of leer on the on the girls that they've taken as dates. It's like, black guys are coming for your, your girls, white guys. Like, they they yeah, surround it, it's the re- table. Reinforcing that kind you know, of, yeah. They've got, like, the brute macho-ness where they rip a table out of the ground so they can get to the women. Yeah, it's the, <laughs> black, the, the black savage stereotype, which is very racist. Yeah, it's like, man, town, holy yeah. shit, how did this come out in 1978? Um, but what I remember, this sort of reminds me of the much better joke from a movie which comes out much later, War on Everything, which is similar kind of <laughs> side gag about, uh, you know, the only black guy in Iceland, uh, which is really funny, actually, now yeah. I think about it. That film is outstanding. It's a precursor to another outstanding film, which is um, coming out maybe in the... It would have just come out last week in the future... Um, starring Tom Hol- Donald Gleason's lookalike, right. which we have discussed in great detail on other shows. Yeah, well, there's a lot more nuance in Bodied. Um, you know, like John Belushi's character, you know, basically just... And this is common to I guess, sex comedies of the period. He's basically, he's the pervert character. He pervs on girls, and the film basically just celebrates it, that he's he's sneaking in to watch women undressing and such. Um Look, it, it's... Um, a lot of the film doesn't date well. Yeah, I, a lot of it doesn't I, date well. I agree. Exactly. But, I think, but at the same time, there's something... It's still. I still think overall it, it's yeah. a good film. There's some. There's something to the energy of it. And it's really well directed. There's a man. There's a. There's a scene that's like out of Looney Tunes with the bizarre it's comic a invention r- of road it. Roadrunner kind of feel to it. Yeah. Right. Well. Th- yeah. There's a scene where um, <laughs> there's a performance <laughs> of shout <laughs> yes. and a little bit quiet, a little bit <laughs> softer now, and a little bit lower now. Yeah. Where suddenly, for some reason, the band is able to keep playing quieter and quieter and quieter until the song can't be heard, and the, the, he's commanding the the singer's commanding the audience to crouch down until they're right on against the ground and still trying to dance, and then brings them back up again and raises the volume. Hilarious. There's there's some genuine comic invention and originality to this thing, and like like I said earlier, the the. Donald Pleasant's character is the the hippie. Donald Pleasant to be Donald Sutherland. Oh, sorry, yeah, Donald Sutherland. <laughs> We've been calling him Donald Pleasant. I think we Halloween. Called him Donald Pleasant thing <laughs> yeah, earlier. Um, you do call him Donald Sutherland earlier. It's okay, fine. yeah, yeah. Um, who does not care <laughs> <laughs> about anything? Disillusioned after working on his, in his words, piece of shit novel for four and a half years <laughs> while trying to pay the bills, being a college professor. <laughs> that, that actually it's just hysterical. Um, that actually hurt me personally because I've been trying to do that as well. If, oh man, I think I think it hit every writer straight to the heart. <laughs> Sorry, um, so I, I, uh, I, one performances day, are great. Ooh, one yeah. day. That novel will come out. So I do need to see this. You do, uh, yeah. It's Animal just House. for its place in history. It is. It was in cinemas from 28th July, and now I think there are other... In If you're listening in the future, there are other ways to access films <laughs> that are legal. 
that'll yeah. be all. And but but National Lampoon is going to become a great sort of forebearer of this kind of uh, genre of filmmaking, to be honest. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, they've started doing stuff. I have this great new show that's on on Saturday evenings in the US, uh, out of New York, straight live from New York. Uh, what's uh, it called? Is it... Is it um New York Live. Uh, New York Live, yeah. So York York Live, and it's got yeah. that whole crowd on it. Yeah, they just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, there's some incredible comic talent, I think. It's just a once-in-a-generation kind of thing. Yeah. They're all yeah, coming together. I, I hope they can continue that show and keep up the momentum. And, Let's uh, hope. Uh, let's hope. Um, the next film we are talking about is was out on the 6th of October, and it is from this uh, Malik something. And <laughs> Mal- Malik something. <laughs> and God. it is called Days of Heaven. It is starring the... Very, very handsome debonair Richard Gere. Uh, my favorite, I haven't seen this one, but I am familiar with one incredible fact about it is that the locust scene and how they filmed it. There's a scene where locusts are uh, flying upwards into the sky, and apparently, the way they filmed it was they got it, they dropped peanuts from a chopper and let them swirl around and then filmed everyone walking backwards so it looked like the peanuts were going up. Wow, which I did is not know that. Incredible, that is incredible. Um, the filming of this oh, of God, this in general is incredible. Um, but the, it's this film is bold. This yeah. is a um, a simple story, really, about a man who um, escapes to a farm. He's running away from a crime, so he pretends that his wife is his sister, and the farmer. Um, it's set around 1900 in the yeah, south. The farmer and, played by Sam Shepard in a fantastic performance. I think. Yeah, Sam Shepard. Yeah, the the farmer played by Sam Shepard desires the woman. The man becomes jealous, and it, it, it's a very kind of simplistic story. Very it, simple story. But going what, by Malik's standards, still has a very conventional narrative. That's true. It does. <laughs> does he become an unconventional filmmaker? Is that what you're implying? <laughs> I think he will be less and less concerned with narrative going yes. by his tendencies. Sh- this should film- he maybe just pace himself? <laughs> this film is uh, really set apart by the execution because. The narrative is made very small by within the frame of the film. When I first saw, I actually it took me a while to grow to like this film, and now I love it. But when I first saw it, I did not connect with it because I found it so cold. And Malik, I think, has an intentionally detached perspective on these characters. But now that I guess I'm older and wiser, watching it again. I see that a month later. Yeah, a month later. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but actually, it's, it's a nice thing to contrast with Steve McQueen and how he does cold attached. Steve McQueen, of- <laughs> he's a great actor, and I adore him. <laughs> and the great, how good was Bullet? That'll change the face of Carter's everywhere. Um, I hope he is. Yeah, he, he he's he's forty eight now, going strong. He might he might even become a director. Who mm. knows? But yeah, the the fast editing and the the focus on the natural environment and the things going on in the background, apart from the main narrative do give it this kind of um detached from the main character's feeling but there is an emotion in that because Malik's focus really is on um the cosmic and the the smallness of petty human struggles against the hugeness and the the beauty of the universe i think it's really a um a kind of <laughs> Christian, <laughs> Christian influenced Book of Job sort of perspective, Glenn. as is as is his later film, tree, The Tree of Life. And maybe you should Glenn. make just one film like this of this nature, because the others might not be very good and might be very laborious. The, 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 this is this the, is tight at ninety minutes long, yeah. and it moves so quickly. It moves so it's quickly. True. The the editing is very jagged. Um, Malik only shows you 
the key points of drama in, in a scene and then focuses on montage, but he condenses a huge amount of time. So this film, unlike some of his later work, it's constantly moving, showing you the changing of the seasons and the attention to the natural world is beautiful. Um, there, there's a, a striking a moment of snow falling and watch it with the president passing by on yeah, a train in oh the God. snow. and the, which, it's, just some, it's just an interesting moment in someone's lives and the, the way that it just flicks by in a moment, I think, really feels like the way that y- you reminisce on memories. It, Little it, moments just stand out to you. It, it's it's very Shakespearean in that sense, especially with how not just the seasons, but how the cosmic universe is somehow interacting with the personal yeah, that's right. emotions of every character. And That's and, right. And you do feel that you are you know, players on a stage and you are playing a yes, part. And these, yes, these, yes, these yes. characters are not just, it's not a personal story, it's a cosmic story. That's right. And in that the, sense, yeah. The, the other really notable thing about it is there's this naive narration from a little girl who uh, doesn't quite understand the events going on in the story. But um, it adds this... Yeah, it's I, I don't know, co- quite, cosmic innocence to it. Yeah, that's it? right. Because, they, because it's, the, from, from a cosmic perspective... The, the universe can't understand why these humans are so petty. That's right. right? The, and, and it's, that's it's right. interesting the, in that and, sense. And it's contrasted with the innocence of a little girl. Yeah. This, this story of, I guess, human moral <laughs> frailty and corruption. Sorry, I'm just trying to focus um, on Glenn's face, and he's just which like, is, not, yeah, not impressed. Contrasted I, I, I with, see this film. Contrasted with the, the hugeness and the beauty of an uncaring world where crazy natural disasters can happen and sweep up, you know, the... Um, the, the world from underneath you're these right. characters. You're right, just because... And it's contextualized by this little girl who doesn't quite understand it, but is is trying yeah. to reach... I think Malik hit on something <laughs> really simple but profound. It, it is very profound because it's almost as if, like, you're trying to understand why the human... Something about the human condition, about how can humans be so petty when they understand the forces of nature, which is so yeah, beyond human comprehension, that's right. when they can change, especially with the locust scene, and that's why it has such an impact, because yeah. it is a sort of natural act, and, I think and that can sort of change lives, then how can humans be so almost stupid that's in right. getting involved in such petty That's right, and Malik's films later on, I think, become quite complicated, going in many, many different directions, but this and Badlands <laughs> are both... Um, manage to pack a lot of deeper philosophical undertones into quite a simple and accessible narrative structure um, and are very, very tight and disciplined. Also, The cinematography is also it's just an absolute... So, yeah, it's just, an absolute landmark. Almost no... Um, almost no lights were used yes. at all. It's almost entirely natural, natural cinematography. And a huge amount of it is at, at the hours of the setting sun and dusk. Yeah. And the way that this has been captured... Um, I think is it unique at this point in That's 1978 in the history of the cinema. I think I think this is one of the landmark uh, visual achievements of cinema to date. <laughs> the the amount of times I've just sighed just looking at some of the shots. Yeah, and I've just let the silhouettes and the because it, it's the, a very emotionally grass. releasing film where you just let your emotions ride and yeah, this, you and have to like, go with the flow. And this and another film which I love in terms of how it's shot, which is In the Mood for Love. Uh, mm. By another filmmaker called Wong Kar Wai, who's making amazing films, but and will continue to make amazing films. But one of those things, but where, not yet, <laughs> not yet, not for another few years. <laughs> but we'll hear again. We're going to stop uh, with this uh, future tampering stuff. Yeah. But, but, but the thing is, there's something, and seeing it again just made me re- realize how incredibly emotionally uplifting it is. Like, yes, most, you're right. You're completely right about like the sense of release yeah. at the end. It, it, this could be a really somber, sad story, but at the end it feels cathartic you. and energizing and, and like 
there's something wise to it. Which which not a lot of it, movies do. Most movies emotionally drain you, and you feel yeah, exhausted yeah, yeah. after seeing because for such a dark plot, there's something there's this something uplifting. Back. Yeah. In the end, and and it, it ends on a, a really kind of hopeful, mysterious yeah. note. Man, it, it, it's such a masterpiece. Anyway, if, if, if you don't, care, is great. If you don't care about Talon Smiley, uh, or if you don't care about you if, know his kind of filmmaking, please do watch. I, I, I watch He's got an amazing I, filmmaker. I, yeah, I would say um, if it doesn't connect with you, give it a shot a bit down the line. Because yeah, as I said, when I first saw it, I it didn't nothing for me. I admired yeah. some of the craft, but. Um, I just didn't connect with it at all, and then five years later, it it just opened up. You're right. I mean, because it's also a film that will mean different things to you at different stages of your life. I think so. Almost. I think I think probably so, this is a film you have to have lived a bit yeah. to. Um, so as you to really revisit, actually, because the the plot almost is not, you know doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah like, it's that's not right. even. There's nothing about the reveal. There's nothing about in terms of the story. Yeah, the story is very simple. But what impact it has will depend on how much life experience you've had, and I as you so. re- revisited. And your sense of, of like your the, of time, yes, and and how, how the movie moments, is all about little the moments in your time life, as yeah, well. relate to time. Sorry, we're just having a very it's great, sort of, <laughs> <laughs> right now. yeah, it's a beautiful film. Um, you watch it. So yeah, okay. that is <laughs> Days of Heaven. Heaven. That is beautiful, and I will be watching. From all accounts, it is beautiful, and I will be watching it very shortly. Cause so great music by Ennio Morricone as well, <laughs> and oh, also yes. um, <clears throat> amazing use of the carnival of the. Animals, Camille Saint Saens. Oh yes, which will go on to be one of those overused film score, oh, yeah. I know, <laughs> film I music I pieces. Any Morricone did the music, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, really good. Wow, yeah. Um, so, another onto another masterpiece, The Deer Hunter, Michael Cimino's The Deer Hunter, which oh, wow. will likely win a bunch of awards next Such year. A great year for film, to be honest. It's actually really good. <laughs> it, it, it is a good year. It's been very good. The Deer Hunter is starring Bob De Niro, who is just on the most incredible run. How good was Taxi Driver? Bob, Bob can, I just, De Niro. can I just say what a beautiful man Bob is? Whenever like I'm in, watching his his films from this decade, that he's has such a beautiful expressive face. Mm. You know, like there's so there's so much sadness that he can conjure and so much depth. Yeah. With with like he's barely even trying. I mean, he has yeah. a face that I you mean, just want to keep wanting to I watch, mean, and he has the, the acting chops to match. The King of Comedy just nailed it. He's making New Orleans Scorsese yeah. about uh, the Jake LaMotta. Yes. Oh right, right, right. Interesting. Yeah. Well, the, the, thing but, is um, the King of Comedy. What's that though? That came out. Ooh. Uh, last year? No, no, it did not. <laughs> I'm ex- no, it, it, it did not. Uh, I'm a spy. Dear me, um, that is maybe a later <laughs> film I might be thinking of. But Taxi Driver was very good. Mean Streets, Oswald Scorsese, Mean Streets, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the one, the Jake Lovato's Scorsese will be coming out. I think next yeah. no, two years from now. But yep. The thing is, uh, people keep talking about uh, Bob's uh, dialogue delivery, and I think <laughs> you know, Bob. Bob. Bob De Niro. <laughs> but the thing Bob is, is yeah. he's I, talking to us. I, I don't think Bob's dialogue delivery is his best asset. It's it's mostly, it's mostly around uh, his. You're right. His expressive face is is non-verbal expressionism and how he uses his body to actually get into the, the character and convey a lot of that uh, emotional sensitivity through his body language, which is fantastic. So. De Niro is not the only superb actor in the film. It's starring Christopher Walken, oh, who is my favorite thing about the film. John Cazale, Always who was great. in, uh, he's only been in a Dog few Day films. Dog Day Afternoon and The Godfather one and, and two. One and two. I think his last, and the conversation. Conversation. His last performance. I think John Cazale. Uh, this is, I think he. Or we don't know. We hope not. We hope it will not be. Oh. But it could very well be. Another very beautiful <laughs> actor, Meryl Streep, who's also incredibly talented, only agreed to be in this film actually to be with John Cazale because of his illness. Oh. She took she took the role because she wanted to stay with him. She um, she was his partner. 
Wow. I, yeah. did, I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. yeah. Wow. Um, Meryl Streep, the very successful New York theatre actress who was very revered, and mm. next year's making a film with Dustin Hoffman. Which uh, I, uh, I think she has a bright good. future, don't you think? Fit? She's think she's she really good in this role. She's uh, doing an adaptation of Sophie's Choice uh, not too long from wow. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book's very good. I'm looking for. I I haven't seen the film. I I, I think there's going to be some ABBA musicals that she might be very good. <laughs> ABBA, you mean the band that just won Eurovision? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <That laughs> like, oh, like a few years back. Y- yeah. y- very, very big queen. in Australia, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very big over here. I, I didn't realize in this they... country that we live in. Australia. <laughs> yes. In this year of 1978. <laughs> they're, they're very good. Um, Swedish. I think they're a great generally. pop band, but yes. it seems like it's, it's becoming cool give to hate me, on them now. But uh, I, I, I think that's just people being pretentious. They're such great karaoke numbers. Like yeah. They're going to be great for, I think, a long time to come. And Elton John releasing a few great. What's karaoke? <laughs> what is karaoke? <laughs> it's uh, well, out of uh, Japan, there's this thing <laughs> called karaoke, which is a. Uh, which yeah, uh, that you, you you sing and you go you, into you booth. go into quiet uh, enclosed spaces and you pay other people money so that you can shut yourself out in a room and sing you to your heart's content without getting judged. That sounds amazing. To be perfectly fair, we just shut ourselves in a room and just like blasting out over the airwaves. Mm. So I I, I I can relate. And the other, so it is coming out on December eighth. It is set in the Midwest. Uh, in a steel town and it's a number of steel workers who live in a small place and a number of whom are drafted or volunteer to go fight in the conflict in Vietnam. Uh, the film is in broadly three acts. The first is their life in this town and the wedding. The second act takes place largely in Vietnam. The third I would argue it's four acts, actually. Okay. Uh, I would say that um, the, you know, the second act is going to Vietnam, the third act is the aftermath, and then the turning point leading to the fourth act is I must go back to Vietnam. The final act is one of the most compelling pieces of cinema yep. I've ever seen from a performance, from a visual perspective. Uh, the, the rest of the film was excellent, mm. too. And the sequence of De Niro running down the street as they transition into the second act is just this beautifully shot, just really emotive sequence. It is. I'd like to have a, like a side note here. Um, there's a great critic in our time. Uh, I don't know if I'd call him a great critic, actually. But there's a, he's, a, he's a blogger, but he has some great points from time to time. Um, Are you talking about Film Crit Hulk? Roger? No, um, Film Crit Hulk, who had a gimmick of typing everything in all caps, he wrote a great piece I recommend oh. a lot of people seek out, where he spoke about how the third act, the three act structure isn't the be all and end all. Um, some films are three acts, but a lot of but we tend to assume things are three acts um, because we're told that everything is, and that's yeah, how to write a good story. But yeah. as he points out, Shakespeare didn't work with three acts, True. and we we understand Shakespeare's writing great um, yeah, stories. I, mean, I think Deer Hunter works because it's four clear acts. You know, it, the, the, it's got a powerful epilogue after the third act, and the third act has already built up a huge amount of emotional um, impact where the film could easily close. But the fourth act gives it great power. Anyway, um, back uh, that tangent aside, <laughs> no, no, but, seek but, that but, out. Uh, right. Hulk on the three act structure. If if you're interested, in listening to this, but that's an interesting point. It's a part of technology. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it's a good point you make because often when films have, you know, leading up to a very big emotional moment in release. Mm. You need something to sort of peter down and sort of carry you through that yep. to make sure that you know you're left the denouement sort of leaves you at a proper place and situation. So the Deer Hunter, it is visually stunning. Um, recently, there may or may not have been a 4K restoration in our time, although we <laughs> know as saying what 4K is, but. There's uh, a film collective called Criterion who might... Who? What? No. And I may have had to work and missed missed out on that the, be- the beautiful 4K restoration. Damn you, Glenn. How um, was it? I Oh, uh, it was... Look, it's beautiful. It's, of what I've seen, it was a... I've only seen a snippet. I didn't see the... Oh, okay. I was in Newcastle, just north oh, here. Um, a a, a rural regional town back <laughs> we were talking about. Um, 
I think I'd, this film, I think you really just have to focus on some of the individual sequences to elicit just how beautifully rendered it is. Um, yeah. The, the first, the one that really stands out to me is this, the titular scene with the deer hunter where they go off. And before you even get to the beautiful sequence where um, you get to confronting the deer, there is a confrontation between two individuals where they're fighting over a pair of oh, boots. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kazali, man, fantastic. Oh. Yeah. And that dynamic renders itself later in the film in one of the more powerful sequences where an mm. element of the worst, one of the worst elements of um, their experience in Vietnam um, revisits itself back in the U.S., um, involving a firearm. Yeah. A very confronting sequence, one of many in this film. I referenced the sequence where they were running through the streets earlier. Um, and with a lot of films set in Vietnam, generally they slow, they start with, you know, getting there and getting yourself here, where it was straight, straight there. into the... We're straight into harrowing we were talking violence. About, we were talking about the introduction of Widows last week in the future. And uh, I think this is... This shows that you can pull off something like that without the brute force approach of Steve McQueen. You know, the whole film has this kind of calm visual sensibility and the way that it calmly, you know, smashes you right to Vietnam with a calm but disorientating edit and then suddenly there's the fury of violence observed from a distance. This film is such an interesting directorial vision and it, as you were saying, it really treats Vietnam as just a brief flash disturbing the no- the normal routine of these people's lives by making Vietnam, you know, a, a actually quite small portion of the film sandwiched between long stretches just celebrating everyday life of working-class Americans. And so it really stands out as, as the nightmare that it is. And let's remember, this is not trying to cover the entirety of the conflict. It is covering a very small portion. We don't know where exactly they are within Vietnam. We're in a very small piece of geography or a very small piece of land, and we learn about the experience of just a few people and an experience that, to my knowledge, has not been recounted. Uh, we see uh, many excellent films um, increasingly so more so more so um, dealing with the conflict on a broader scale talking about the Tet Offensive and other matters whereas this um, in its treatment of the conflict is very narrowly focused yeah. I think all the more powerful for that I think I wanted to do talk about the performances just a little bit I mean we've talked about Robert De Niro we've talked about Meryl Streep we've talked about John Cazale but Christopher Walken is oh, oh man, man. Uh, yeah. I mean a lot of people make fun of his dialogue delivery but to be honest I was just taken aback by how incredibly understated, and he's a very powerful actor, and he doesn't need to say much. Like, he can just, his eyes are really powerful, and, and that's something that I hadn't noticed before. And it just oh, struck yeah. me Toward with how much end, he can communicate. He communicates a hell with just of a, a lot look. in his final scenes with oh his eyes. Oh my God, it's just harrowing, and I, I was crying just by looking at him, and I just didn't realize that any actor could have that kind of hold on an audience. The, the, the pairing in one of the final sequences is phenomenal. There's the delivery of a line. I'm not going to try to do anything. The line is very simply, is this what you want? Mm. And it's one yeah. of the best pieces of dialogue oh, yeah. delivery I've ever Robert seen. Robert De Niro, God. killing it. It um, is just brutal. And he does it with... And the, the, the following up action, which um, takes an actor of enormous talent, he does with such conviction, as he does with each of the sequences of this film and later the sequence where he revisits um, his titular role as the deer hunter mm. which is very which, which is, is very, very beautiful and very very sad the whole third act if you know where the return to America has such a elegaic quality to it yeah. you know it's just so 
it's very slow and very sad, but you know, very deeply felt. Yeah. I find it. Um, this film, I think, is is quite unique in that it's an epic, but even outside of the Vietnam element, it already feels like an epic. You know, not many films have celebrated um, just regular human lives with this huge epic scale cinematography and image making and use of music. Like the the early sequences before they even travel to Vietnam feel like a huge scale, you know, film and really magnify the emotions, you know, like the way that the deer hunting is shot. It's like we're watching, you know, a, a epic of the of the Vikings or something. Yeah. And the, you know, the the way that the wedding is a, a wedding is filmed as this massive scale event to signify the way that small moments in people's lives can take on that that level of emotional significance. And I think treating this quite ordinary story before they go to Vietnam as an epic visually, I think gives a lot, you know, gives a lot of dignity to the people and conveys something of the way that we actually experience our lives and our friendships. And this movie really is all about celebrating friendship and love. It is about that. And the point you made about the movie trying to be an epic and the big scale, it does that without it being removed from reality, which is that's right. a really interesting balance to strike because often when p- films go for that epic scale, they want to be fantastical. They want to actually yeah. be removed from reality. They lose touch. But this is so grounded yet being epic in scale, which is such a hard balance to strike. And it's mm-hmm. actually, it doesn't lose sight of its heart. I think we also have to acknowledge that the conflicts in Vietnam had such an impact on the American psyche, but also the I think what this film really gets at is that it particularly affected some particular sectors, some particular groups hmm. in America of certain social status and other demographics much more than it did necessarily others. My family was certainly um, experienced in this nature, and um, this film is very relatable. This film yeah. is very powerful for that. I think it speaks to an experience that um, I think in yes in in in, in, in years decades the whatever whatever period we're in we will see more films from perspectives focused on Vietnam as we begin to learn about it. Um, since watching this film, I had the great fortune of traveling and visiting Vietnam. Um, I learned a lot about the conflict from that perspective. It's certainly there. It's referred to as the American War. Mm. Something I guess you wouldn't that wouldn't click for people who would only experience the conflict through film or through the lens of. Um, Watch television, watch I mean, years. yeah, because this isn't the Vietnam War. This is a Vietnam War. There was another yeah. one not too long before. Yes, that's True. right. The, the yes, the first Indochina War, of course. Which yeah, we have to acknowledge. But um, it just shows how much of our history is dictated through American culture yes. that we refer to it as the Vietnam War. Um, I, with respect to you know the impact that the war had on people's li- you know, on the American psyche and on people's lives, I think the Russian roulette scenes are a really amazing metaphor for that, to, to see that something that was being done to s- soldiers as a form of torture in this film is now has now been integrated into their psyche and that they can't escape from it, that they now engage in it as a form of sport and entertainment. It really shows, I think, the death of the soul and the way that you know, emotionally they've been deadened by the experience and are struggling to integrate it and have no way to move forward. It's a brutal vision. It's a brutal vision, and it's a brilliant film. It's one worth seeking it's out. It's very the beautiful 4K and sad restoration. So that will be uh, was released. Will be released on the eighth of December, nineteen seventy eight, and will be available for years to come in many many forums. As will Animal House and Days of Heaven 
and Superman and Halloween. All good films. We will be back next week. In back 19, to the future. In 2018. Um, and if you want us to do another year, let us know. And let us know what uh, period we should cover because there's so many years and so many movies left to tide us back to. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. This has been Glenn Falconstein, Chris Evans, and Varat Nehru on the newly formed Two Sydney, Two Sydney Educational Radio. <laughs> Good night. Night. <laughs>